Hey there. The holidays are here, so it's good to know Fred Meyer can save you some time with free pickup on all your fresh favorites. Whether your traditions call for a hearty helping of juicy ham, ample apple pie, or Aunt Sue's legendary twice-stuffed stuffing, Fred Meyer has got you covered. So order for free pickup at fredmeyer.com or the app and get more time to get your holiday on when you grab your groceries curbside. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, the off-the-cuff exploration of everyday aha moments and life experiences. Let's get started with your host, author, speaker, provocateur, and a bit of a goofball, Mike Domish. And welcome to another episode of this week's show. We want to dive right in because today is a good friend who I am thrilled to have on the show. We've been excited to get you on the show for a while. Not only is he a friend, but he is a Hall of Fame speaker, performer, entertainer. You're talking main stage Vegas level, one of a kind only that does what Jason Hewlett does. Jason, so amazing to have you on here today. Thank you for joining us on the show. You're funny, man. That was way too big of an intro. I don't know what to say. For your listeners, hey, you can't see what I'm doing right now, but it's awesome. (laughs) Well, actually, Uh, here's the good news. Some of them are watching you on YouTube. So, yes. Hi. (laughs) Exactly. That's what I do when I'm on video. Hey. Now, for those of you who can't see, how would you describe what you just did? I just did my, I did a nose wiggle like a bunny. I did uh, my facial exercises, which I'm known for by 12 people. And then uh, I just do a lot of funny stuff with my face. I guess that's all you could say. Yeah. And it's stuff that people, when they just see it, like you might think, oh, he's just being goofy. No, no. I mean, it's like people are on YouTube trying to see clips of how Jason does what he does with his face because it's truly amazing. And you've, you literally talk about it's part of how you made your career. As yeah, an man. entertainer and a performer. So to give everyone a little background here, because I don't think I can do justice, because every time I, I see you, I'm blown away. My kids see you, they're blown away. My dog got to see you do an impersonation <laughs> a couple of years ago in our living room of the, the T-Rex. So how do you describe to people what you do on stage? So I have a couple of different facets to my career. The first one being entertainment. So I've been an entertainer for almost 20 years full-time. It's been in a great career, been very blessed. And uh, what what that means is I'm doing musical comedy and impressions. And so it's uh, over the top. It's kind of like Weird Al meets Jim Carrey, if you will. And so I'm changing the words to your favorite songs and, uh, you know, making things kind of fun and silly. And then, uh, and it's clean. So that's kind of been my calling card is that it's a Las Vegas show Uh, family friendly for any audience so that's always been a neat calling card and then the other thing I do is I'm a keynote speaker and I speak uh, integrating musical impressions into a speech about how we're all great performers and we ought to just mimic the great performers of all time and then I do the some of the impressions of the old school you know the Motown uh, legends like the Temptations and Stevie Wonder and so forth so that's fun and then I, I'm also a master of ceremonies. So for a lot of award shows and three-day conferences, I'll be there as like their opening keynote. I'll do a show one night. I'll do their award ceremony. I'll bring people to stage, keep things on time, keep the energy up, keep it professional, rather than having Frank in HR who ruins it every time. <laughs> they have me. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's kind of like 
nuts and bolts what I do, and yeah. I I don't do anything really publicly per se. You can't pay a ticket to come see me somewhere. You have to have me at a corporate event. So I'm a corporation guy. Well, if, if, that's, if that's anyone nice who's to listening, sell out to the man. <laughs> yeah, actually, you didn't sell out to the man. Let's <laughs> let's go there right away. I think it's such an amazing story because. I mean, you had the ultimate test in life of what we to sell out to. And that is for our listeners to understand, I mean, Jason's being humble, but you're a world-class level entertainer. You can do anybody from Elton John to Michael Jackson and people will be just in awe. Because of that, Vegas gave you an unbelievable opportunity and one that most people would think, I would have done whatever it takes to make that thing happen. So I'd like to go there because I think it's, it's a lot about mindfulness, what you chose to do there. And let's talk about how that happened. You're doing very well in Vegas. One of the major casinos comes to you and says, we're going to headline you. We're going to make you the act in town. You're going to have your name everywhere, your face everywhere, on the strip, everywhere. You're going to be one of the biggest names in Vegas. And then you are in contract talks with them. What happens? Well, they actually wanted to start me at a casino out of state to fix my show because they said, you're you're so gifted naturally. This is in 2004, I mean, 13, 14 years ago, whatever now. And these guys wanted to have me go from one state to another, like California to Nevada and then, uh, you know, like Reno and then work my way to Vegas. And so what they wanted to do is just kind of change everything that I had worked on. And my whole act is based around it being funny and it being over the top, but at the same time, it's it's all family friendly. And at the time, Vegas had just taken that one big shift from let's try family friendly and build an Aladdin hotel and an Excalibur hotel and do all the stuff they did in the 90s. Now they were shifting in the 2000s to the... Uh, you know, what was their saying? What stays in happens Right, in Vegas, what happens in Vegas, in Vegas stays in Vegas. And that was a big shift because the family thing wasn't working for Vegas as far as yeah. the way they wanted to make money. Right. wasn't working. Right. And so even though other entertainers were clean that had come into town, they were already famous people pretty much. And so they said to me, the only way it's going to work is if we change your act to the way that we need it to be performed. And I said, well, what does that mean? They said, well, we have a a great show producer and you should see his show. And I went to his show and I was like, Oh my gosh. You know, <laughs> I was like, honey, close your eyes. I should too. You know, it was one of those where I was like, uh, and I met with the guy and I go, uh, how are we going to do my show? And he goes, Oh, we're just going to do this and that and have dancers and it'll be the whole thing. And I said, Oh man, this is not good. And so no, you say the whole thing, you mean more risque, more adult yeah, oriented yeah. shows. Yeah. It was an adult show and, uh, not, not to say strippers, but to say, uh, inappropriate for children for sure. And so uh, it was, it was very sad to realize that this was where they wanted to go. And I was at the time, what was, I, I was 26, maybe something. I mean, I was young to be getting this kind of opportunity and I, uh, and the contract talks, yeah, we, we tried to talk through it. I said, uh, I can't give an inch on this part. And they said, well, we're not going to bend either. And, uh, we just couldn't agree on the right, you know, way to go about a show and uh, keeping it clean. And so in essence, I, you know, I turned away a pretty big opportunity that I had worked really my whole life toward. That's all I wanted was to be a Vegas headliner. 
and then to see that it wasn't going to work on my terms and by my own personal, uh, you know, my own morality, I guess, and ethics, I said, okay, I'm out. And so that's why I went back home to Utah and just became a corporate guy. So I found I could make a living there. Yeah. And to be fair, I mean, they didn't just say, okay, it's not going to work. They got a little, hey, uh, you'll never work here again kind of attitude. We'll see to it. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And I've, uh, I've had sniffs of opportunities and then they've found out who I am, what I did with that one offer. And then I'm, uh, I'm out. So oh, I didn't know I, that. So, so there were yeah. times where the opportunity might've came back and then mm-hmm. it did bite you. They did make sure it didn't happen because of that 13 years ago. Yeah. Even all the way from Vegas up to Reno and other casinos throughout the country, they've, uh, they've made it quite difficult. So being able to kind of uh, I don't know if the word would be hide, but place myself in the corporate market has been the perfect spot for me. Because when you're a corporate entertainer, uh, you are not famous at all. But <laughs> when you create a niche, you become niche famous. And so I became very well known as the guy who could come in and take a show that was a disaster the year before because it was inappropriate and uh, with a celebrity, you know, and a really high fee. They could bring me in for a lower fee, and I would give them a great show, standing ovation. Everybody's pleased. Nobody's embarrassed. That became really my niche. And it didn't happen overnight. So I want to talk about this because I think it's really important for everyone listening. You know, we talk about mindfulness, and a lot of people think, well, yeah, you can be mindful when things are going well. But you, you go home to Utah, you don't have a job. No. And and now you're going to go corporate, but you've also not, that's not been your world. What was the first few months like, the first few year like? And was there a lot of looking in the mirror saying, I did the right thing. I did the right thing. And just to talk yourself through that this was going to work out. I mean, Mike, I, I still to this day, when I go to Vegas and I see my friends on those billboards and on the tops of the taxis and all that, and I go... Did I make the right choice? You know, because I'm still, it's not like I'm a millionaire over here, you know. I'm, I'm doing fine. It's, it's been a great career, but I constantly have that question rolling in my head. Did I make the right choice? And when I look at my family and my children that I didn't have at that point and now do, I, I realize I did make the right choice. It just comes back to, you know, working it out in your own mind. And, and uh, I do a lot of journaling. And that's something that, uh, you know, is, is essential to my well-being. And uh, Well, can we go there? Because yeah. I, I love your vulnerability and your honesty there, Jason, that you said, hey, Mike, yeah. I, still, I still struggle when I'm there. Because I think, yeah. that, that, I think that's a surprise to a lot of people who know you. I think, okay. they, I think they see Jason and go, well, he, he was so solid in that decision. He doesn't even look back because he knows it was the right decision. And you're going, wait, wait, no, I'm human. And I do wonder, you know, what financially that could have done, what that, but you also, the message you share with the corporate world is the promise. And you lived that in that moment, this promise to yourself, your beliefs, your values. So can you explain to people what you, what that means to you to live a promise? So, yeah, that became my corporate message. And, uh, I've, I've created it over, over the last year and a half, really. And it became something or it came out of the concept of, you know, I, I'm this guy who has made a promise to myself and I'm going to keep it. 
And how does that relate to businesses? Well, we always talk about goals. Hey, what are our goals for this year? Let's set some goals, especially coming into the new year. What are our resolutions? What are we going to do? And I say, why set a goal when you can make a promise? I mean, the promise is a higher level of commitment. It's the highest level of engagement that we commit to in any experience. So what is your promise to yourself, to your company? And I love this, that it's a higher calling a higher commitment. I love that language. Uh, So I think for everyone listening right now to ask yourself, instead of making a goal this year, what promise do you make to yourself? Right? That's really the heart of what we're talking here. Because not even businesses, individuals, what promises are you making to yourself? Yeah. And we talk about in in the keynote when I'm speaking to a corporation, I say, what's your promise to your customer? I call it an audience, your audience. Everyone is a performer. So let's call it an audience. It's your customer. Uh, what's your promise to them? What's your promise to your family at work and your family at home? Because that's different than your customer. And then what's the promise to the one, which is you? And uh, and so that's where this comes into play with us personally, is we just say, you know, goals are important still. I'm not saying they're not. But goals are particulars where promises are proclamations. Does that make sense? Right. So it's a stepping stone to that greater place. So, yeah, it's, it's been a good message. It's worked out well. And, and it, it just came about because I met with some of my great mentors that I've had through the years. And, and, they, uh, and I would always lean back towards this whole concept of I want to talk about the talents we have, the gifts we've been given. I'm a goal setter. I'm a goal achiever. And they would then say to me, you're a promise maker and a promise keeper. And that's when I realized, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. Nobody owns the promise market, so I'll do that. You know? Right, right. So can we, give, can we talk about some examples? What would be a promise to yourself? A promise to yourself would be, for, um, I, I go to sleep really late just because of my entertainment life you know, background and so forth. So I go to bed really late. That means that it's hard for me to wake up in the morning to take or get my kids off to school. But this school year I said, okay, instead of saying I'm going to justify sleeping past the time they go to school and it, because I stayed up so late, uh, if I go to bed at 3 a.m., I'm still going to wake up at 7 a.m. We're going to all get up with music playing, and it's going to be you know, f- either spiritual or fun. I like to either do like a nice hymn and then like a pop song. And that wakes them up. That gets our energy going. And then I, I get them downstairs. We open up our scriptures and we read our scriptures for 10 or 15 minutes. And that just gets us in the right mindset every single morning to making a great day. We have a family prayer. We discuss what's happening for the day. We talk about you know who we want to influence that day, how we can help a certain kid that's struggling in their class. And then they go to school. So in the past... Before the promise, I would make a goal every morning to wake up, <laughs> and I wasn't strong enough. And I'd just be like, goodbye, kids, yelling from bed, you know? Right. Uh, now, if I go to bed at 3 a.m., I am up at 7 a.m., no matter how exhausted I am. And, yeah, it affects my rest of my day, but it always is the right thing to do. That's what the promise comes down to. It's just the right thing to do for ourselves. And so I hope that's an okay example. No, that's a great example. I love it. And I think there is a big difference. I think when people set goals, you think, all right, when I hit my goal, I'm going to reward myself. With a promise, do you take that away? Like, because that's just a promise. You don't reward yourself for a promise. That's a, the reward is whatever you're doing 
that is the reason you're doing the promise in and of itself. In your case, the time with the kids. Your yeah, family. the reward is the reward is the benefit of actually keeping the promise. Right. <laughs> you know exactly. So, so really, it's already built in. We're we're with the goal. Like if you said, I'm going to set a goal to lose 30 pounds this year, and you know I've set this goal over and over for years. Okay. Uh, once I hit my goal of losing 30 pounds, my reward is to eat anything I want. <laughs> and then you kind of cycle back. And so uh, what about making a promise to only eat healthy and to only give your body the best and do the best for your body? I, I'm, you know, instead of setting a goal to become a better dad, I wanted to make a promise to be the kind of dad that every kid would want to have. And so it's just shifting the language a little bit, and it makes a huge difference. I think it's fantastic. Are there times where you fail your promise? Where I fail it? Yeah. Oh, sure, man. Yeah. I, I, I think mean, that's honest for people to hear, right? Because they think, oh, he makes his promise, and now it's perfect. No, there's, no, no, no. Right, right. So how do you, how do you balance that? That it was a promise, and I broke it to myself. It's a restart. How how do you view that when that happens? So in the, in the Christian world, we believe in, in this concept of repentance, that we can repent of something we've done incorrectly. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of people think that you have to live a perfect life to have a great eternal existence, let's say. Uh, however, what they don't realize is that we believe that someone came and paid that price for us. All we have to do is give it to them, to, to Jesus Christ, right? And so when I, when I fail a promise to myself, I go, well, I can either internalize that and feel and hate myself and never make another promise, or I can just say, darn, I screwed up. Uh, take accountability, take ownership, and pass it off and go forward. Make a new promise and, uh, and work your way through it. I love it. And so what has been, you mentioned with time with the kids, what are some other ways that you've seen it? Has it worked out for you physically? Because you are somebody that's made a promise to yourself that way. And, uh, you know, you've talked very openly about that process. Yeah. And uh, in, the, in this past year, I've had a very big struggle because I lost uh, 30 pounds last year in 2016. As, as I was the keynote speaker for the National Speakers Association, I wanted to look tip-top shape. And I did. I looked great. And then uh, because I had starved myself for two months, and uh, I all of a sudden started eating again, and my body came back to where it normally wants to go. So where I'm at at this point is uh, I'm now accountable with my son. My son is a workout machine. He's a nine-year-old who wants to play in the NBA. So he's eating, he's eating really strict and perfect. He won't even touch sugar. And I'm like, I wish I had your discipline, you know. <laughs> And so, so we have an accountability journal together, my son and I, and uh, I write down what I've eaten that day, and that's really shifted my promise to myself and, you know, to my son to say, it's one thing to send your meals that you ate to your trainer, it's a whole other thing to have your son look at it and go, what a loser you are, dad. Right, right. <laughs> So that's that's where I'm at. Uh, I'm I'm obviously not in tip-top shape, but I am at the shape of a very healthy dad who gets to play with his kids, be around them in a in a quantity time, and not just quality time, uh, but a lot of quantity time that creates quality time. And so, um, not to justify it, but 
Yeah, I'm. 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 Well, I wouldn't. Up, but, I wouldn't yeah. knowing you and seeing you. I wouldn't know you're not in tip-top shape. So, I mean, I, I look at you and it seems you know it seems like you're taking really great care of yourself. You meant you brought up twice now journaling. How does journaling play a part for you? You just mentioned that in this case with food, it helped you see that right, and helped your son, and you had that discussion. How mm-hmm. and you mentioned earlier that you journal. So, what are ways that you journal? Uh, is it a daily? Is it a twice a day? What kind of things are you journaling? And for anybody watching, he's holding up literally his journal right now. Yeah, so this is my journal, and obviously lots of uh, writing in here. What what does this do for me? This this is something that is first of all sacred because it's my it's my thoughts, it's my fears, it's my challenges, it's my triumphs, it's my history, and so uh, it's a constant reminder of how to be grateful. And it's fascinating when you open that book and you're angry. And every, every single time I write, it seems to resolve in gratitude and, uh, and finding that space that I know that I need to be in. And so I started journaling uh, when I was in high school, and then that carried over into my mission. I'm a, I'm a Mormon, and so I went on a mission to Brazil, wrote in my, my journal every single day. That really set the pattern for my life that I wanted to do what I'm doing now. I wanted to be a messenger of joy. And uh, so that's what it's become. And so when you journal, like Brene Brown talks about just writing your rawest of rawest feelings and thoughts as if no one will ever read it uh, without any fear. Uh, And you said you always get to a place of gratitude. So are you opening the journal with the what am I grateful for? Or are you opening the journal to say, I'm going to let out whatever needs to let out. It could be the ugliest me and I'm going to write that. Then in that process, I'll get to that place of gratitude. Is that what you're referring to? That's exactly right. Yeah. And it's, it's sometimes I'm thinking the other day, 12 pages before I got to gratitude and my hand was cramping and I was on the plane for six hours anyway. And I was just furiously writing and the people all around me are looking at me like, what a nut. But I was like, there, this, this gig didn't go well. And I don't know what's happening with business and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden it came back to the resolution of, man, I'm so blessed to do what I do. And, uh, but you have to go there. I think you have to, you have to face the darkness to get the light, right? Yeah. I'm reading a book right now called the upside of your dark side that, that talks about that too, that same concept. Uh, and so you write, do you think there's a big difference in handwriting? Cause yours is handwritten versus typing. Yeah. Big difference. And because it's tangible and it's, uh, it's something we did in our youth. You know, when you're a little kid, you're not necessarily typing in a QWERTY keyboard, and so when you begin to write, it, it kind of brings you back to that place of, of youth, I think, of, of innocence, of being able to express yourself in any way possible. As you know, you know Jason Kotecki, one of the great artists Absolutely. in the whole world. And uh, this guy, you know, he can draw anything. He, he does things on the computer, but I know he prefers to be on a, you know, on a sketch pad. <laughs> it's just kind of how artists are. You, right. you have to have something in the hands. And so uh, I'm an artist, and it, uh, I'll tell you, uh, without the cursive and the handwriting and all that stuff, I'm, I've tried journaling on my computer. It doesn't work. Not, nowhere near. Do you ever fear, because I know I've had this fear myself, and I know others I've talked to have it, that when you put it in writing handwritten into a book that somebody could pick up or mm-hmm. that could be left on a plane, do you fear that vulnerability or your darkest thoughts, somebody else ca- capturing or reading? 
No. Uh, and the reason is because it's it's both raw and it's funny and it's pathetic and it's awesome. I mean, it's it's really just a great story. In essence, somebody someday could grab all my journals and make an incredible movie out of it. Well, you know? I love what you said there because it's raw and it's funny and it's fun and it's brilliant. Because what's so wonderful about that statement is you owning your gifts in this world, right? Yeah. It wasn't that it was just pathetic. No, I'm a gift. And so this is me. So if the journal is truly me, then it's a gift too. And yeah. I think that's really neat for us to all think of that. If you really write your raw self, that might be the greatest gift somebody opens up. Maybe, maybe, you know, you do somehow leave it behind, but the person who finds it, their life has changed because they're going through a rough patch and they see you in a rough patch, but then you take it out of a rough patch. I mean, who knows yeah. how that could portray. You mentioned the movie. Is that something that you've thought of or worked on as far as no. writing the story or the book? No, no. I'm just saying, you know, uh, uh, I'll be way more famous when I'm gone, you know, kind of thing. Just because I think that as an artist, uh, I, I'm, I'm not quite sure where I'm at as far as, you know, currently in this, in this world, in the vernacular of, of artistry and so forth. And so... I, uh, I, w I went to a play a couple of years ago with a friend, and I can't remember which even play it was, but I remember the line where the kid says, he goes, I'm an artist. He goes, and, and I just don't know if I'm either uh, no good or ahead of my time. <laughs> <laughs> does, that weigh on, does that weigh, as an artist, does that weigh on you? Do you think, well, will my impact be left behind? Yeah, and that, that's a big deal to me for some reason. I've just, you know, captured that in my brain as to what I want to, what I want to have people remember me for, and what I, my contribution really is the more important part. What do I, what do I leave behind? And uh, and I actually wrote about that in my blog. And so the other one I was going to mention is if uh, if your emotions are so raw in the journaling then you can also do a blog that's a little bit less graphic, if you will. Right. And that, that's a really wonderful cathartic process is to write a consistent blog. I do two per week. Uh, for One is for speakers and entertainers, how to make a, a career of this. Uh, and then the other is just my promise blog. But the promise all does come down to the promise to yourself. Are they usually coming out of your journal? Yeah, they're usually stories that have happened or things I've thought through the week. Oh, I should I should share this, and um, they're not they're not hugely read, you know. I mean, I have I have a list of maybe fifteen twenty thousand readers or something, but I I do whatever I can to let them know. People are hearing that going. What do you mean they're not read? You have a readers of fifteen to twenty thousand. Yeah, for a lot of not, people, that's mind boggling. Not very many commenters, you know, I guess. Right, right. I totally understand that. <laughs> Same thing here. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so, but you just keep writing. You do, know, you feel, do you feel good, though, that I, I've seen you. I see what you do for people's lives from an audience perspective. Are you the artist that, the, and I know you're not the tortured artist because we've talked about that already to a degree, but are you comfortable knowing you have made that contribution? Like, can you look in the mirror each day and go, yeah, I've made a contribution in this world. And if God forbid something happened to me today, I've made my contribution. Or is there, I need to do more? Yeah, that's interesting. I've, I've had that talk a lot with myself. And because I have so many friends, family passing away now at my age, uh, I'm, I'm facing mortality in quite the different perspective. I believe that if I died 
on the plane out for my next gig. I would obviously be sad to miss out on my kids' lives and so forth. But as far as my contribution to the world, I feel like I have lived to to such a uh, a level of trying to make it count that if it if I do go, it's okay. I mean, I feel good about what I've done, and I've been on this earth for almost 40 years. Been pretty cool. I've got a lot more left, hopefully, and so I'm working now mostly on legacy projects, and that's what my kids can remember me for. And uh, and and so I'm writing an album of music uh, about embracing fatherhood, um, something I've never seen done before. It's also including art like uh, Shel Silverstein, and uh, and it's very basic, but it's raw, it's real, it's painful, it's beautiful, it's all those emotions, and that's what I think, you know, we want to leave as our legacy is that we were real, that we did something, that we shared our gifts and what we had. And I'm out, right? Right. I love it. I love it. Very much you and I are on the same page in that. If it happened, I, I'm happy with what I do in front of audiences and what I do when I'm not in front of audiences. It doesn't mean that I'm, there are things I'm not happy about myself. That's human, right? Of course, there are things I've made mistakes. I've said things the wrong way. I haven't always treated people the way I should have treated them. But did I make the contribution that I set out to make? And am I continuing to work on it? Yeah, right? That's that's the fun part. But I, I love what you said and fulfilling more than fun. It's yeah. a fulfilling part. What I love that you said, though, is you brought up several times today, right? Our dark and our raw, all of that has to be able to be in play to really have a major contribution. Like if we're trying to contribute by just showing our best self, I made that mistake. I'm, yeah. I've made that mistake in my career of I'll just show my best self. But you're missing out on all the people who are struggling because they can't relate to that. Right. You've got to be able to share that. Do you find that your music allows you to do that too, your performances, or do you find that's more in your writing? That's a great question. I would say that's one of the reasons why I speak. You know, I can really go there. Whereas the entertainment is more let's just make them laugh, have a great time, forget all their worries and their cares. And that's that's why we entertain. Right. Um, but with the speaking, I can really go to a not necessarily dark place, but maybe a vulnerable place where they go, oh, whoa, he went through that because he seems so perfect, you know, which you don't want them to think that. You want them to be like, oh, he's a loser like me, you know, (laughs) and we can get through this together. (laughs) And so that's what I like about speaking. I love it. Jason, if somebody wants to get a hold of you or they want to learn more about you, what's the best way for them to do that? You know, I have two ways. And, and JasonHewlett.com, Hewlett spelled H-E-W-L-E-T-T, like Hewlett Packard. JasonHewlett.com is my website for, you know, checking out what I've done with The Promise and, uh, you know, could come and do something for a corporation, a big corporate event. Um, currently, I've been so blessed to have gigs where it's like, most of my events are 500 people to 10,000, and the average seems to be 2,000 people per audience. So these are huge events I get to do. It's a great blessing, and I love doing it. And it's really a good way to close a conference because what I'm, I'm bringing to the table is funny. It's raw. It's emotional. People are laughing until they cry and crying because they just realize something that they can change, and then they run home to their family. It's a great closing keynote. I love it. And then, and the other, the other place is my training, the jhetraining.com, and uh, that's just where I teach you how to 
make a career from the stage if you want to learn how to do uh, some of the things that I've done in my business, some of the, the, great, the great ways to cultivate relationships, which is what business is about, and how to, how to have the right mindset, messaging, and audience to make it to the next level. Love it. Thank you so much, Jason, for sharing so openly, honestly with us today. Uh, it's been phenomenal. You're the best, man. I'm so proud of you. Thanks for your work to the world. You have contributed greatly. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate that. And for everyone listening, hopefully you got a little taste here of Jason here because he's truly an amazing human being and contributor to this world, to our society. And for everyone listening, I hope that you make today and every day a day of mindfulness and make it all that you can. Until next time. We appreciate you being a part of our vibrant, oftentimes silly, and always vulnerable community. If you have an idea, a thought, want to sponsor the show, or just want to say hi, send us an email at listen at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. And check us out at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Have a joyful, mindful week.